Okay, I guess it's uh, been a while, and there's the usual apologizing that can be done, but, um, well, we finally got something out where Andrew talks about his experience at Scotland's anime, and um, please excuse the coughs that get through, because I was, um, I was still kind of sick when we did this episode. I've been sick for the past uh, two weeks or so, two, yeah, two weeks or so, and it's been awful. That's every class, every day, I'm just there coughing every now and then, like every 30 minutes or an hour or so, I just have to let it all out. But that's that's just the nature of it. I may or may not have edited everything out, but um, there's, there's, there's definitely some coughing in this episode. I'm sorry for that, but you know, hey, we're back, kind of. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Anime Guru Podcast. What what? We're back, and um, today we're gonna. Well, Andy's gonna talk about his experience at Scotland Loves Anime. I guess, right? Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna gloat about all the movies I saw that nobody else did, but uh, most of them were pretty bad. So, oh, that's not too bad for you guys. But uh, yeah, I think we did this last year and the year before. Um, we're just going to go through the movies that I saw and what I thought of them. And, uh, yeah, I, I just want to say first off, though, uh, the thing that everybody is talking about this year, uh, Mamre Hoster's new movie, Wolf Children, I did not see that, unfortunately. I wish I did, because it looks amazing, and it was the thing I was most interested in, but because it was on uh, Sunday night in Edinburgh, which is hard to get to, I was not able to go see it. But I did get to see uh, most of the stuff they showed at the Glasgow portion of the festival, and I also saw, um, what's it called, Haunted Academy, or I think it's called Noata Gakuin, which they showed at Dundee um, a couple of weeks afterwards. Uh, oh, man, I thought you were about to say, like, Occult Academy. It's like, whoa, I just watched that with my friends. It was great again. But, uh, hey, did, did you actually take that girl with you, or did you just go on your own? Oh, something came up, so she wasn't able to go. It was it was sad times, but uh, I, I did uh, take some of my friends to see Berserk, which I guess I'll talk about first because that was uh, that was the first new thing that I saw. Um, though before that, I did go and see they were screening the K on movie. Yeah, I think that was the first thing they showed on Saturday, and uh, yeah, I, I went in that very low expectations. I, I am not a K on fan. I, I'm not a fan of that genre, but. The interesting thing about the K-On! movie is that they actually had some of the staff uh, come and do a Q&A afterwards, and then a second Q&A on the day after that. They had, uh, I believe they had the director, and I'll just find her name. Uh, well, I mean, I guess, like, while you're looking up the name, I do have to say that um, I've been watching K-On! And, um, like... I guess maybe my comments earlier on it may have made it seem like it was a Moe show. It's like, but I guess watching more of it is just a lot more like, I wouldn't say that it's Moe anymore. I'd say that they just have like some of the tropes within the characters. And like, while I would probably argue that, hey, look, it's, it's all about presenting these archetypes in there. 
everyday life, I wouldn't necessarily say that it fulfills the need, the same otaku need or desire that uh, Moe shows do. I mean, just uh, yeah. having watching more of the season, I haven't watched the movie yet, but um, I'm coming around to K-On! a bit more. It's just a slice-of-life show that, in a sense, attempts to show, I, I guess, idealize a little bit high school life, where high school life is not just about grades, it's about growing into yourself and getting a guitar and learning how to play guitar and, and naming your guitar, because that's, yeah. that's how it works. They had one of the they had the director of the movie Naoko Yamada, um, and they had the producer uh, Yoshi Yoshi Hisa Nagiyama, uh, and I was very surprised that the director of K-On was a girl. That that was I did not expect that, and I guess I'd always sort of in my mind assumed that K-On was kind of a dodinshi bait show that was kind of fetishistic. That's but, what I was uh, thinking too, but uh. But you know, watching it, there's no fan service in that show. Like you said, it's basically just this really idealized, uh, you know, high school slice of life show. And I gotta say, it's definitely not my thing, but I did leave that movie with a little bit more respect for that show because the characters are, you know, it, it is a Moe show. Uh, you're definitely meant to be like, oh my god, look at these guys and their, their cute little twerk traits. These look at- girls, there are no guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the whole thing is you're gonna do this without men, so it's even a lot of it, it. A lot of it is basically like, oh my god, this girl is so dumb that she needs to leave sweet sweet rappers around so she can find her way back home. So it's definitely got those Moe traits, but uh, I guess being directed by a girl, it, uh, it, didn't, it didn't come off as particularly fan servicey. And yeah. uh, the thing that really Really, uh, I noticed was how terrified the director seemed. Um, <laughs> she she was just kind of like barely wanted to speak. And during the Q and A, she was sort of staring at the ground, and uh, she just looked extremely nervous. But they had some interesting stuff to say. And uh, the person who did the Q and A with them, uh, Jonathan Clements, uh, I really gotta I really gotta say how good a job he did. Like he introduced all the movies and. He's just really good at giving people information that you would never know otherwise, and he's he doesn't like he doesn't do that thing that a lot of people in the anime business do. Like he doesn't speak down to the creators when he talks to them. He's willing to kind of joke with them and you know talk to them like they're adults and ask questions that might seem kind of controversial. Like uh, I remember last year. No, starting Grilski Takahashi, he really wanted to know about like the Korean animation. I mean, yeah, the Korean and like Vietnamese in betweeners and how much that affected the industry. And he's got some good stuff to ask. So, yeah, but uh, the Q and A itself, I don't know if I learned too much, but I was surprised by uh, how good the questions were, especially from the audience. Like some interesting stuff about Kyoto animation, and uh, again, it's true I don't know much about, but. Some interesting stuff about how many female kind of writers and directors they have, and yeah, I was I was pretty impressed by the the Q and A stuff. The movie is not for me, but it was not what I was expecting. At least is that. Yeah, it's very. Taeon is very tame in terms of fan service. If you want to get any sense of fan service out of the show, either you got to have like you got to be like really, really imagining it as you're watching it, or Imagining it as you draw these characters fucking each other because they're lesbians, but um, I yeah, know, that that's uh, the Jojen of them having sex with perfectly ugly men after the fact. Yeah, but, uh, 
I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with it. It's probably not something I would seek out on my own. But I was glad that they, uh, you know, I was glad they they got the Japanese guests over again for the Q and A. And the the seating place was packed. There, there were a ton of people there. Um, the audience reception to it was great. People really enjoyed it. The questions they asked, you know, people the people asking questions clearly were fans of this stuff. Which does make me think that um, this was probably a better choice than getting Ryosuke Takahashi like they did last year. I mean, I loved that they got Ryosuke Takahashi. Um, that it was amazing meeting him. But I kind of got the impression that maybe it was like me and one other person in the room who was actually already a fan of Takahashi before the screening. <laughs> <laughs> People weren't asking questions about his work. They were asking very general questions. One person asked him about his work in the Moomins. So I, I, it's a good thing, I think, that they got, you know, a director who's actually worked on something that modern anime fans care about. Uh, I know they also got the Berserk director to appear in the Edinburgh screening, though I did not, I did not see that Q&A. Um, so the other thing I saw was the Berserk movie. And I don't know, have you, uh, have you seen any Berserk before? Have you Dude, I it? know nothing about Berserk. All I know is it's something that's pretty popular... All, like, the cool, nerdy white boys are all like, Oh, you like anime? And you like mango? What about that berserk, Jefferson? You like that? And we're all like, I've heard about this berserk, but I have not yet heard of it. I, I mean, mean I have not yet watched it or read it. I, berserk sorry, I misspoke. dark, medieval, Germanic fantasy, and it's kind of one of the few sort of really good Western fantasy mangas out there. It really does. I mean, when Jonathan Clements introduced it, he suggested that fans of Game of Thrones would enjoy it. And while I don't think Berserk has a level of like world building and, and political intrigue as Game of Thrones, it does have that same gritty, you know, kind of Germanic fantasy atmosphere. Uh, and these movies are basically they're a trilogy, and they're adapting the Golden Arc, which is sort of the arc that everybody remembers from Berserk. I mean, after that. It sort of goes a bit crazy and off the rails, I would say. But, um, but yeah. Uh, and this is by Studio 4C. Oh. So, they yeah. But they... Alright. It's by Studio 4C, and it's produced by Warner Brothers. It's a trilogy. Though, I think the movie was only an hour long, or an hour and ten minutes long. So, it sort of felt more like an OAV to me. And to be perfectly honest, like the animation quality... It's sort of a mix. Um, there's a lot of CGI in this movie. Ah, ah. And it's a lot of extremely choppy, low-frame CGI. Ah. Basically, anytime somebody's wearing a suit of armor, or anytime somebody swings a sword, or pretty much anytime somebody moves, it becomes a CGI model. Ah. Kind of a low-frame rate CGI model. It, it sort of looks like they're action figures being moved across the screen. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> A friend yeah, I'm just thinking. Out. I'm just trying to think of anything else that I've seen with like animation, or like trying to think of something that they they did their best to not animate anything. And it's like bartender. Bartender is the only thing I can think of. But bartender well, had is, its own specialties. This is this, this is, is not bad. What it reminds me of is the Zeta Gundam compilation movies. <laughs> Remember in Zeta Gundam, like you had the original animation, and then and the new animation that looks all nice and clean, and they put the layer of film over it to add that sense of beautiful depth to it. Nah, nah. Yeah. But so I mean, kept, like, kept that was cutting, jarring. But. Yeah, it was really jarring. Kept cutting between. And Berserk, Berserk movies have the exact same problem, is 
the traditional animation is fucking fantastic. And from what I've heard, what they did for the traditional animation was actually the entire movie was done in CGI. But for scenes where people were just standing around and talking, um, they just traced over that like they rotoscoped it. So really, really amazing, really detailed uh, hand-run animation. But anytime something dynamic happens, and literally any time, it, it could be somebody just like picking something up that becomes CGI. Ah. So it, you're getting really caught in this really nice animation, and then the next scene, really awful CGI. And like a friend pointed out to me that there was a scene near the beginning where a character's like given some gold and he puts it in his pocket, but rather than like CGI animating him putting it in his pocket, it was like an RPG where he just sort of puts his hand near his pocket, the gold coin disappears, moves it back up, mm. like a video game animation. So I don't know, like. It's clearly a high-budget movie because I don't think the CGI was cheap to do. Um, the handle animation is great, but because they're switching between it so often, it just—it's really jarring. And it does take you out of the film. But the movie itself is not bad. Um, but I would say it has a problem with a lot of anime films where it feels more like an OAV or a long episode than it does a film. Like it doesn't really have a three-act structure. It kind of just stops on a cliffhanger, and it's like, all right, two more movies to finish up this manga plotline. Um, I think, though, I actually think the audience response was really good, because Berserk, as a property, it's pretty westernized already. It's kind of steeped in fantasy ideas that we're already used to, and it is a really good story. I mean, I think that Berserk is one of the few kind of epics in anime. I think it's a really well done uh, fantasy story. Like, what other, like, things of anime that's actually been made of Berserk? Because I thought it was just a manga. Uh, no, there was a TV series in the 90s which adapted the Golden Arc as well. Uh, and it was written by Yasuhiro Imagawa. Okay. And it was, it was pretty successful, actually. Um, Wait, Imagawa? Yeah, he, he wrote it. I can't remember who directed okay, it. Okay, so basically I kind of have to watch it? Yeah, but it's it's a fairly straight adaptation of the manga. Um, uh, okay. But to this, to this work's credit, uh, I I went to see it with one person who had not read the manga, and he, he understood the plot perfectly. Uh, I, I think that it's the kind of thing I would like to see more of an anime, which is good, high-budget you know, genre fiction. I just wish the animation didn't have that problem. Well, I mean, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I think well stated elsewhere. Um, another thing I saw, which I don't really think anyone else has seen, is the new Tiger and Bunny movie. Uh, Tiger and Bunny at the beginning. Have you heard about these? Um, yeah, the Tiger and Bunny movies. I mean, uh, yeah, they came out. The first one came out uh, at the beginning. And this is, I guess, a half compilation movie, half new material. And it is awful. It is uh, it is completely terrible. It's uh, I don't know if it's the worst thing I saw, but it is just really <laughs> it's one of those things that makes me doubt like Sunrise has a lot of really successful important franchises and they're very good at screwing them up. And you know, the first season of Tiger and Bunny. It's a superhero show. Um it was really successful in Japan. It, a lot of people liked it. Did you finish Tiger and Bunny? Um yeah, I finished it and it was fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a really, really good show. It, it's kind of a melding of sort of, you know, Japanese and American superhero ideas. Um, there's some really interesting spins on it, like the idea that all the superheroes are sponsored by different corporate images. 
Um, yeah, it was a cool show. This movie, basically, I think it's two hours long, and the first half is literally just the first two TV episodes edited together. Uh, no new footage, maybe like one new footage of um, like a flashback to Tiger's Past, a really bad J-pop song playing in the background. But aside from literally just the first two episodes slapped together. Ah. The second half, the second hour, is entirely new footage. But the plot line is something that is just so, so thin. I came out of it thinking that, like, I have seen Teen Titans episodes with more plot, with more plot questions. <laughs> hour. Uh, alright, this, this is the plot line of the second hour. There is some supervillain whose name I don't remember, who has no motivation. Uh, okay. he runs around on roller skates, and he All can right. tell. Alright. He steals his golden statue, which is important for some reason. I can't okay. remember why. He goes into an amusement park, and all the heroes chase after him. All right. And they try and touch him, he disappears. Oh. To, oh yeah, it's, it's hard to get real. They have to find out how to capture him. Eventually, they do find out that he teleports. They capture him. The end. Oh. An hour. <laughs> it's literally an hour of them running after him in an amusement park. That, that sounds like a TV show. It sounds like a a bad a really, TV show, a bad episode, or just a really generic, mediocre episode of a TV show. That's what I which mean. which would just be filler, and this is what they use to be their entire second half of the movie. This is their entire original content. I don't know who that would appeal to. I don't know why that needs to be a movie. Uh, I was like, I was just so angry at that film, and I cannot understand why. Yeah, why Sunrise would waste this really popular show? Why they would waste this movie on something as inane as that? Like, it, it would not appeal to anybody. But well, I don't know, bro. And it it, it doesn't make me. Very it doesn't. It doesn't sound like I'll ever watch this. I don't. And it doesn't make me very hopeful for the future of Tiger and Bunny because I, I sort of realized from that movie that like. Those characters are not as interesting as maybe I thought. Like, they were interesting enough for one TV show. And, you know, they were kind of cute and funny, but they aren't well written. And the the comedy in that show is kind of annoying. Uh, so just another hour of that, I, I I don't know if I need to see any more Tiger Bunny. It, it feels like It feels like this movie is just turning you off to the franchise as a whole. Too much. And I sort of feel like maybe it would be cool if they just tried to focus on other characters in the future or they something to change it up because, man, I, I just, it, it basically, it's just, you know, Tiger calling Bunny his nickname and then Bunny gets angry and that's their entire character development in that movie. Well, I guess I'm not watching it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty terrible. Um... And I was wondering, yes, did like uh, Jonathan Clemens present all of these movies, or did yeah, he, he sort of gave uh, before each movie he gave a talk. And he sort of introduced it and explained. He did a good job of like really selling the movie before you saw it. Aww. Um, Aww. Yeah, like text to it. Um, and of Tiger and Bunny, I, I thought he made the movie sound a lot better than it was. <laughs> so well, there, you know. Um. So yeah, what's the other thing I saw? Um, 
It sounds like you could probably just do an anime podcast and just like <laughs> say everything is good and like convince everybody to go watch some shit. Being on like shit. a movie, and uh, he is just a scary. He has a scary amount of knowledge. Like I hear him talk, and I'm just like, God damn, this guy needs his own show where he can just rant for two hours about any subject and just school us all on anime. Um, like. Apparently he's getting like a PhD in it at the University of Wales or something. A PhD in Animu? Yeah, I don't know how that works. Um, it's probably just like a provisional English degree where they're just like, oh yeah, you're going to be like cultural and literary, literary studies and you're since like guess, guessing your specialty will be specifically within Animu. That's what you're going to write your dissertation over. I, I would love to have him on the podcast just so we can rant about Tomino for a couple of hours. <laughs> Just explain to us why Domino is an amazing man. I'll be like, all right, cool. But also, like, I, I, he, him and Andrew Partridge, you know, they're very good at fostering a sense of community. That's got of anime. I think they're very good at, like, making it feel like an event and making each film feel important. They've, they've got a good camaraderie with it, and I feel like everybody sort of refers to Andrew and Jonathan by their first name, which you hear them talking about them in the crowd. And they've done a very good job of, like, making Scotland Love's anime feel like a big deal and leaving people want to come and really kind of fostering this kind of community of people who want to know more about anime. Like, I think their whole idea is kind of like Anime World Order is where they want to make it so that everybody leaves that festival learning something they didn't know beforehand. And uh, i got to say, like, pretty much every time I go away from Scotland Love's anime, there's something new I've learned about some Japanese writer or some director. So... Hmm. What else did you see here? Uh, I don't, the only other thing I saw at the Glasgow portion of the festival was Anime Mirai Project. Um, and this is something that I, I don't know if it, if it would really be shown anywhere else. Um, I heard a lot of people were saying they weren't really sure who it was aimed for uh, or what it, you know, it, what it was supposed to be. Um, the reason for that is that this is not actually a movie. It's basically this project um, that these four Japanese companies took part in. And the idea was the Anime Mirai Project um, would train young animators without, like, producer interference and without studio interference. It would just be, they would give a budget to a group of animators and get them to make short films. So there were, it was a collection of four short films compiled together. Um, and as I understand it, this is not, like, a theatrical project. It's just something they were able to get the rights to show at this festival. And they were, one, they were from different studios each, I think. There was one from Production IG. Um, I think there was a Studio 4C one. Yeah. Um, there was one from Telecom Anime. But it was basically just a compilation of different short films. Hmm. I've always felt as though, like, whenever you have some sort of, like, whenever you try to make uh, films seem more important or be educational or foster any of this sense like, that you're saying that Scotland Loves Anime does, that like, you should have like some sort of shorts playing beforehand, you know? Right, yeah. I, like I know in, like I heard in Europe it's a lot more common, like instead of just playing ads, they'll actually have short films before movies. Like I don't know if that's true or not. That's but, still, uh, um, maybe it was one time, but I mean the thing that really stood out to me of the Anime Rai project was just the, the variety in what they were showing. Like 
this obviously had no producer interference. It wasn't really made for any specific market. It was just made to train animators and see what they were passionate about and see what they would make. And, you know, as a result, each of these projects was completely different in tone, in animation style, uh, in story. I mean, uh, the first one was really fun. Uh, it was called Juju the Weightless Dugong. <laughs> and it, what it reminded me of a lot was Shinchan. Um, it's a really kind of simple story. Basically just this kid uh, wants to go to the ocean and her dad doesn't want to do, doesn't want to go because he's afraid of swimming. And this inflatable dungy that she has comes alive. It's about, I think, 20 minutes long or 10 minutes long. And it's basically just that. It's just this kind of fun little short. But the animation style is just this really, really cute, uh, really simple, clean style. It's, it's really just comedic. It's the kind of thing you just don't really see that much anymore. And it's just, uh, it's just a really fun, different thing. Uh, it's the kind of thing I, I could almost see, like, before a Pixar movie or something. Hmm. Uh, and like another one they showed was this thing called Little Spider Girl, and it was it was a production IG short, and uh, that was like an urban fantasy kind of making fun of Moe Girl thing. Um, the basic idea is that there's like this supernatural creature which looks like this little Moe Girl, but it's actually this like horrific spider demon, and it sort of goes around like enchanting men uh, and sort of. <laughs> Take them into her thrall, and it, it's this kind of short urban fantasy piece. Clearly, make poking fun at the whole Moe idea, and I wouldn't want to spoil anything about it. But the ending of it is great. There's some really cool ideas in it, and it's just a really original, interesting piece of work that, again, like you would not see much modern anime like this. Um, but I'm not really sure what I could say about it apart from that. It's something that I hope people get to see. Uh, Hope there's some kind of DVD release of it. Um, it's just it's just nice to see so much variety in a project like that. It's cool. I've always felt as though shorts like, uh, like I guess it's a bit off topic, but in film class the other day, my professor showed us some shorts that were sponsored by the, um, I think the the post office in Britain. So like your post office like sponsored some like filmmakers to go out and make essentially commercials for them and, and yeah. no, they they were they were it was basically just here we're going to paint directly on the film cells and and then then at the end we'll paint words on them to say that the post office is good it's like I've always yeah. felt as though like whenever you just kind of throw out money that's the sort of thing i guess you should get is it's like sometimes weird stuff or at the very least stuff that doesn't um that is independent in a sense. Yeah, I did hear yeah. about that. Okay. Uh, so there'll be another one other film I saw at the uh at Scotland's anime. And you know, again I I missed Wolf Children, which is really disappointing, but I did get to see this other film which I was looking forward to. Um and it's a bit a lot going for it. It's called Nero Wareta Gakuin, which I think translates to Haunted Academy. And this movie I was I was really pretty hyped for. The main reason for that is that it's a Sunrise production. And I believe it's the same studio of Sunrise that did the film Colorful, which they showed last year. And Colorful was a fantastic film. Um, it was probably the best thing I saw in this anime the previous year. Uh, 
And like Colorful, this is based off a very successful Japanese novel. Um, and it also, I believe, had some of the same uh, soundtrack uh, composers as Colorful did. So I was really looking forward to this. There's, there's a lot in this um, to get me hyped up. And this is also the international, or in fact, this is the world premiere of this film. I hadn't been shown in Japan yet. In fact, when I went to see it, there was a Japanese family um, sitting next to me. <laughs> who had uh, some very excited kids, and I, I think there were a couple other Japanese guests too, so I don't exactly know what that was about. Maybe some people were fans of the book and really wanted to see it. Uh, but yeah, this is a film, it's a sci-fi novel, and Jonathan Clements compared it to uh, Go Electric Through Time. He said that, according to him, this, this novel that this is based off has been adapted uh, for the screen at least six or seven times. And every the Go Electric Time is adapted for whatever reason this isn't getting adapted to so there's been like TV shows about this sh- about this book there's been a bunch of movies there's never been any anime about it before this is the first anime adaptation and the guy who wrote the book too is a very successful uh, Japanese novelist a sci-fi novelist he's called Taku Mayumura and interestingly only one of his works has been made into an anime it was an anime called Time Stranger which doesn't exactly have a very good reputation, but he's known for making a lot of really, really successful Japanese novels, sci-fi novels anyway. Um, so the story of this is kind of hard to explain, but it is extremely 70s. It, pretty much anything you would think about in 70s uh, Japanese sci-fi is in this movie. But basically the way I describe it is it's sort of like... Um, it, it, it's sort of like Towards the Terror, only instead of being a space opera, it, it's a time travel story. The basic idea of this plot is actually really, really cool, which is that in the future, mankind has pretty much destroyed the Earth. They live on the moon, on these lunar colonies, and they are starting to develop these psychic powers, which they think, if they had developed the psychic powers earlier they may have been able to avert the war because, you know, new type of understanding, everybody gets along, psychic powers, all that stuff. And it takes place in modern day in this Japanese high school. And this character, I think he's called Kyogoku or whatever, um, he has traveled back in time from the future. And his plan is basically to awaken enough psychics in the past that there'll be this psychic revolution and the war, the war will be averted, you know, mutual understanding. Okay, it's so basically, Tamino saves the day. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of new types, but without the mecha plotline and you know, time travel involved. It's kind of a cool idea. And they sort of update it for modern audience in some interesting ways. Like, there's this idea in the film that using the internet and using Twitter and things like that and texting is preventing us from developing psychic powers. Because we're meant to be evolving to reach out to each other in that way. And instead, like, we're, we're using these clutches, like mobile phones and Twitter and stuff like that. This, this sounds kind of like, this is beginning to remind me a little bit of Heidegger, a little bit. But, I mean, go on. years in the film, and I, I appreciate it for that fact, for the fact that it's just so, so 70s. It's that, you know, it, it's those psychic ideas that Japan was fascinated with back then. And the other reason I appreciate it is the art style. The, the art in this movie is amazing. 
um, and really, really tacky and really gaudy. I mean, everything about the art style in this movie is over the top. You remember how in like colorful that movie was so understated and there was a lot of kind of grays and yeah, and this it sounds like the opposite of that. <laughs> the complete opposite of that. And this movie, like, if it was like a cherry blossom tree in the background, no, no, no. There's like five cherry blossom trees, and for some reason the sun is violet, and for some reason there's a rainbow and <laughs> thing that they in there. Every scene is just so crowded. There's so many different colors and light. It's just so tacky and gaudy, but it looks kind of beautiful. I mean, it must have taken so much time to detail these backgrounds to look as corny and shoujo-y and over-the-top as possible. And just every frame is meticulously detailed and ridiculous. It, I enjoy it for that reason. Um, Man, but, I, I mean, like, it sounds like it sounds like in many ways, like, even though, like, colorful is very understated in a sense, and it's, like, very subtle, but, like, we also essentially barrage with all this colorful imagery throughout the movie, and it seems like, like, in almost a similar thing, or as colorful was wanting to discuss, like, how we should just sort of embrace life, this, this almost seems to be, like, about how we build up walls from each other and from the world with technology, right? Definitely what this is trying to say. This is definitely a story of people trying to communicate and essentially, you know, it's, it's a story about about people going through adolescence who are trying to say what they feel and are una- unable to communicate and crutches like the internet and Twitter and texting are getting in the way. So it's trying to talk about communication and, you know, the modern digital age and the way we communicate. And sort of these new existential problems that we face as a youth growing up in this time of crisis, man. Yeah that the source material for this has a lot going on. There's a lot of stuff happening in this source material that was a very long book. But I have to say, this movie is it's fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> really bad. It's, it's probably the worst movie I've seen that's gotten loved anime. I mean, Tiger and Bunny was bad, but the problem with this movie is there is so much potential here. The art is so nice. The characters are interesting. The concept is great. The music is good. There's so much potential here. And this movie is a giant clusterfuck, unfortunately. <laughs> no one who has not read the novel will understand this movie. By once you get to the third act, nothing makes sense anymore. None of the characters... Characters are being introduced in the final ten minutes of the film who you've never met before, who are incredibly important. Uh, suddenly characters' personalities change for no discernible reason. Um, suddenly everybody is from the future. Uh, you know, it's just, it becomes this convoluted mess. Pretty much all the plot that I described about, um, like new you know, types the, and like the moon. Like, that is all in the last 30 minutes of the film. What? First two hours is literally just people in high school being awkward and not being able to communicate. Everything I described is dumped on the audience in the final 30 minutes. And so is a ton of other shit I could not comprehend whatsoever. And I asked people, when I left the cinema, I asked people if they could figure out who this guy's father was and why this guy collapsed and died at the end and why this dog turned into a giant Pokemon-looking thing. <laughs> why did I die? And why they all jumped into the ocean and had psychic battles and what the amulet was. Nobody could figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and the people who brought you colorful. <laughs> oh. oh, so long and sprawling and huge. This could not be reported. This could not be. This could not have been adapted in two and a half hours. You know, or however long this was. It felt like two and a half hours. Sounds like it's been a twelve-episode TV show or something. And the fact is, apparently most of the adaptations have been TV shows, so there you go. But the first two hours of this film, pretty much nothing of importance happens. I mean, the characters interact a lot, and that's what's kind of fun. I enjoyed the first hour of the film because it was so melodramatic and kitsch. Like, some people I talked to afterwards, they didn't like how the characters all kind of overreacted and shouted all the time and, you know, all the melodrama. I was fine with that. Because this movie was trying to be a melodrama. Everything about it was melodramatic. The art style was over the top. You know, the music was loud. Everything about it was 70s shoujo melodrama. So I was fine with the characters being larger than life and crazy. But because they spend those first two hours literally just basically in high school hijinks and characters interacting, when they get into the sci-fi stuff, it's so rushed. And so incomprehensible that if you haven't read the novel, you know, you're just not going to get anything about anything from it. And in that sense, it's just it's the opposite of the goal that through time and colorful. I mean, those are both based on novels, but, you know, I've never read the novels for either of those. And I still enjoyed them a hell of a lot, and I still got a lot from them. Nero Raretta Gakuin feels like it was made for fans, and that it was meant to be consumed by people who already were familiar with that source material. I mean, that's excusable. Somebody says this a lot. But if that's the case, why is your premiere in Scotland in a film, in a country where that novel's never been translated? I think you've got to understand, Andy. Listen. Listen, they found out that there is actually a, a secret society that you're not allowed in. And it turns out, like, most of the population on the island of Scotland, in your national boundaries, is actually like, a huge fan of this novel. They all know fluent Japanese. Just, you're the one who's left out of this. Maybe, maybe. But, I, think, uh, I think that's the case. That is clearly the case for why they chose Scotland, of all places, to premiere this anime. I think they're showing, I think there's more screens of films, this film over the, over the UK than it's in the coming weeks. So, more people are going to see this and be very confused. Um, yeah, I just... I just, I'm disappointed, man. I was with this movie. I wanted to like it a lot. And it was, there was stuff to like in it. The, the animation was great. I thought the characters were likable. But uh, it's just, if it had been given to a different director, like if Mamre Holster had directed the movie, I think it would have been something fantastic. I think he could have made something really interesting out of this. But um, it was just, it was poorly managed, man. It was poorly directed. And it's, it's pretty disappointing. <laughs> Uh, I gotta ask, um, did you know? Did you see anything of this Tokyo fish attack that I am looking at? Yo, no, I did not. I mean, I know that that is based off uh, the manga by the same guy who did Spiral and stuff. So I would like to see it. Um, it was on Friday, and I was in university, so I, I couldn't go see it. But yeah, the one with like the mutated fish with robotic legs. <laughs> Some of the staff were so interested by that concept, they actually just came in and watched it with the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) How did you know response for that? Was it like good or? I mean, you weren't there, so I guess you couldn't tell better. The response was not good. I had people (laughs) and 
it's I heard there was not a fish attack in Tokyo fish attack. <laughs> the image shown on on the website is a bunch of fish running around like while Japanese schools take pictures. It sounds like an amazing film. <laughs> I'm looking at all these pictures and they are just fantastic. Oh my gosh. Maybe we should uh, review it. Because the thing is, one of the reasons I wasn't too bothered about that is I believe that's already out on DVD in the UK. So, I mean, they were also showing, on Friday, on Friday they were also showing Ninja Scroll, I believe, in HD. Um, I did not see that either, unfortunately. Aw, okay. Well, I mean, you've seen Ninja Scroll, right? Nope. Oh, well, I've, I've... I remember I watched that when I was, like, 15, and I was just like, the fuck is this shit? This movie's bad. What? What is even happening? Why? What? That's one of those films that here if I watched it when I was like eight years old, my mum would just inevitably walk in one of the rape scenes. Because that just always happened. Like, remember that two-second scene in Acura of the girl's shirt, of the girl's shirt being ripped off? Yeah. My parents always walked in during that scene. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a good place to go. But, um, no, I mean, I think that the selection issue it's got on with anime, it, it did not, it was not as good as, as the last couple of years, but that's not really their fault. I mean, I just don't think there was as many properties they could have picked up. I hear that Wolf Children was amazing. I hear that was really, really fantastic. And I think it's great they got the rights to that. I wish they showed it in Glasgow as well as Edinburgh. I don't know why they didn't show it in both venues, but glad they had it. Um, and also, I think Gang Berserk was a really good choice. Uh, I, that went over really well with the crowd. Um, but most of all, I think they're just, no matter what, I mean, even if the, the movies they show aren't the greatest, uh, Jonathan Clements and Andrew Park just have done such a great job of really fostering a community here. Like, they even, whenever somebody wrote a blog post about um, Scott and Love's anime, they would call them out in the introductions of the films and thank them for writing the blog posts. They would mention them. Um, you know, they, the, the Q&A with, um, the creator of Kaon or the director, uh, they did a great job with the questions. Um, they, they always ask questions like, uh, you know, they, they seem to be trying to encourage more people to come to Scotland in the anime industry and, and more interest in that. So I'm just, I'm really happy with the idea of a film festival devoted to anime. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that they did a, a good job this year, even if the stuff they showed maybe not up to par of last year. That's true. You can't have good films every year. That's, that's just the way it is, because not everybody's making good movies. I mean, Evangelion 3.0, that, that comes out in November. And I, I would love to see that shown at the GFT. I think if they showed Evangelion 3.0, which I know they wanted to, but I think if they show that, um, you know, the turnout for that would be great. I remember when they showed 2.0, that was such a good screening. It was so excited. You know, the reception to it was great. Um, something like that, I think, it would be a good thing to try and show. Um, and I think it's great that they showed host Disney movie. Um, but Speaking yeah. of which, I'm getting pretty excited for that movie myself. I want to see, and I'm hearing nothing but great stuff. The only thing I have heard that it does not worry me, but I think it's very telling. And something that sort of links all these films. Um, but apparently, Wolf Children was done in a similar way to Berserk movies. Uh, every scene was actually animated in CGI, but what they did was they rotoscoped over each scene. Uh... But no one is saying this is particularly bad. I mean, Berserk, everyone sort of agrees, 
uh, that was bad. But the thing I will say is in Berserk, the scenes that were rotoscoped looked fantastic. It was the scenes where it was just the bare CGI models looked bad. Apparently, and we, uh, apparently Wolf Children is just entirely rotoscoping. And people say it looks really, really nice. They say the animation is really good. And um, I have to wonder if that's just the way forward for all anime films, if every anime film, or most anime films in the future, are just going to be rotoscoped over CGI. Um, because it makes perspective so much easier. You know, blocking out a scene would be so much easier doing it that way. I wouldn't be surprised if that's just the way most big-budget anime films are going in the future. Hmm. All right. Uh, so, um, I'm guessing that's all you saw was a uh, Kaon movie and Berserk and Tiger and Bunny movie and um, Haunted Academy, right? Yeah. And uh, and also Anime Mirai. Yep. Um, I should point out they also showed uh, they showed from Up and Poppy Hill, a new Ghibli film. Um, they showed. This film called After School Midnighters, I wanted to see, but I was not able to. And that is a fully CGI comedy film that I heard was really interesting. I'm, I'm disappointed I could not go and see that. Um, and I also, they also showed the Phoenix Wright film, which I heard uh, sold out. I heard it did very well. Uh, I mean, anything Phoenix Wright is going to be popular. Something anything based on a video game, because I heard the Mass Effect film, they showed that, that did very well too. Um, which I heard was awful. Oh, I thought you went to see it. I did uh, not. Okay. I, I just don't really care that much for James Vega's adventures in space. Okay, well, uh, I'm guessing there wasn't any alien sex in there, so... I'm pretty sure there was some blue alien waifu in that movie, but maybe no alien sex. Which oh. is, I guess that is the reason we all played Mass Effect. There's totally. a real reason. Yeah. I never played it because I don't play video games that aren't Skyrim or League. You're playing Halo 4, or you're going to. I don't know. I mean, I pre-ordered it, Now, just like, that is, like, 55 more dollars. So I might as well just lose my $5 and, and actually get good grades, because I have some stuff to do this week. I started playing Assassin's Creed 3, and now I just I just don't care about university anymore. Why? That's Why what happened last weekend. Last week, when supposed to be prepping for the debate tournament this weekend... And um supposed to be doing homework and studying for your tests. It's like, fuck no, Dawn Guard. Oh, my God. Vampire waifu who looks like Kate Beckinsale. Oh, my God. Yeah, all right. League of Legends. Um, yeah. Skyrim. We should, yeah, we should, In uh... the podcast now. Should. Yeah, I assume the podcast is already over, to be honest. But, um... What, what should we podcast about next week? Because, uh... Or next time we podcast... Next time we podcast, um, let me see. I, there was something I have on my computer that I wanted to talk about. Uh, uh, I guess. Hmm. Uh, Wicked City. Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> you don't want to watch Wicked City? Nope. Oh, okay. I'm gonna end the recording. I'm gonna stop. It's print recorder. We want to stick around. Be all to stick and proud. We want to stick around.